Let's rock this. They arrested me and they put me in jail and called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod. Lincoln. Off-season edition. Champions Week edition here of the Five to Go podcast. We go deep. Is that the best thing to say? I don't know. To go deep on five different subjects in the racing world, particularly the NASCAR world here. I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull from the WSB traffic team and sometimes get to be get to play a pit road I get to play a pit road reporter on PRN I guess I'm not acting so uh, maybe I'm not playing one I'm just being one but uh, joined here today good to have him back because he's been his calendar's been full of late WSB's uh, Eric Von Hessler host of the Von Hessler Doctrine weekdays 9 to 11 on WSB in Atlanta and the podcast that's out there on iTunes how you doing Eric I'm doing great sorry I couldn't be here last week Good to be back. You, you, had a lot, you had a lot going on, man. I mean, just yeah. the look in your eye when I saw him, you're like, dude, I'm sorry. I was like, <laughs> you don't even apologize. You had a lot going And, of course, joined by the 1988 championship winning mechanic and pit crew member from the Elliott family racing team out of Dawsonville, Dan Elliott. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, glad, to, uh, glad to be here. Hope everybody had a great holiday. Oh, we did, brother. We did. And so, yeah, ha- ha- before we get started, how were how were Thanksgiving festivities for everybody? You, Eric, had gotten to ar- political arguments with millennials. I had a couple. Of, uh, I pulled out very quickly. I've, I've learned my lesson <laughs> about trying to argue anything with millennials. Uh, but uh, no, I had a great time, actually. <laughs> my brother-in-law is a near-nose-and-throat guy in Dayton. So at the last minute, we ended up going there. Whoa. I won't get into it. Uh, they were supposed to come here, but uh, there was some millennial troubles. Oh wow! Somebody didn't finish their college work, so oh, okay. everyone had to travel well, there. That's awful nice of you to keep it together, man. We kept it together. We have, it was even a ninety-five-year-old woman at our Thanksgiving Day table. That, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Can, uh, my ninety-one-year-old my grandmother, who my grandfather passed away back in July, it's been a tough year for, sure. for patriarchal figures uh, in the in the Turnbull family. But uh, my grandfather passed away. So it was my grandmother. You know, they were married almost seventy years. My grandmother's first Thanksgiving without him, ninety-one, and, and my uncle lives with her, and so we. We went up to Thanksgiving with some like distant relatives, really, who I hadn't met before, honestly, in Milton. And then I drove to Marietta, picked them up, and then brought them to my in-laws' house at Spaghetti Junction. Where there was about 15 people, mostly, obviously, my, my wife Sarah's side of the family. So it ended up being a, a two huge meals and a, a lot of different people mixed together that I normally wouldn't cross paths. Uh, Dan, what'd you do up there in the mountains? Well, I got some sage words of wisdom for Dr. Von Hessler, and that is, my dad always told me you never get in a pissing contest with a skunk. Yes, <laughs> I it's I, I was saying to somebody earlier that if you have a if you have a political uh, debate with a millennial at some point if you keep throwing facts at them you realize that they're about to cry and once somebody cries in a political debate you've kind of lost in the eyes of everyone around you so I uh, I was it was only it was a mere mere moments mostly. Uh, great Thanksgiving. Hey, what, did they reach yeah, over you, and break you can your beat phone? them down, but you just can't beat them down too far. That's right. <laughs> They're going to grow up, right? I, I've they been on both ends of those before. I, sometimes <laughs> you're just so passionate, you're like they they don't get it. You just want to just want to kind of. Well, give it was up. about it was about what I think. Well, I won't get into it. Here, this is a racing show, but it was about it, it was about Larry David and his comedy monologue right. on Saturday Night Live, and <laughs> I take that personally. Why is it always the comedians who have to shut up? Nobody tells the authors to shut up. You know that that argument's been made before about the comedians too, though. Oh, they can say whatever they want, but if but if a so and so says something about it, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's weird how it all changes around. Well, this is not a safe space. That's right. Anything goes That's here, right. and and this the five to go racing podcast. And before we uh, j- jump in to go too wide a lot or three wide on a lot of these subjects, Eric, I just wanted for subject number one to get your 
quick, you know, take. It's not a hot take anymore. It's been a week, but on it's a very how, cold take. It, it is a cold take, but how Ford Championship Weekend played out for for you? I mean, watching that and seeing Martin Truex Jr. Yeah, win, Byron Christopher Bell win. I, I just uh, I'm really um, uh, I'm, I'm really happy for Martin Truex Jr. I was uh, I should have had more. Um, uh, leather nads maybe on the last one. And just gone ahead and picked him. I couldn't. I couldn't pick somebody over Kyle Busch with one race because of the history of Kyle Busch. But I was. I guess in the end, I was sort of rooting for Truex because he's put together the old-fashioned full season. Yeah, which may, which is kind of good with this playoff system that we get a guy that you know dominated a great part of the season was good every track they showed up at. I don't know about every track, but every style of track they 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 did well on road courses, mile and a halfs, uh, restrictor plate races. I think they did pretty well in as well. So well he. He they they had speed in the restricted play races. I don't know that they finished one. Well, I don't know how he did at Daytona, but the the you other get caught two, up. You, yeah. you, know, you get caught up in stuff when, in those restricted play races. Yeah, but I'm sure exactly. they showed up with speed. And uh, so I'm just overall I'm I'm glad for Martin Truex Jr. I find it interesting that uh, that is the second person, at least in my mind. I don't know how Truex originally got involved with NASCAR, but in my mind, this is the second champion that Dale Earnhardt Jr kind of brought into the sport yeah. uh, because Brad Keselowski yeah. and uh, and now uh, Truex Jr. So um, there's that legacy for him as he leaves. Hey, and you could argue, too, that in the Xfinity side now with um, with William Byron being champion, Chase Elliott right. with the championship three years ago already, what? <laughs> but that those guys, you know, also being at junior motorsports and yeah. being scouted out by the quite the incubator Ricky, of talent. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And I want to say that I feel like uh, the top three series all crowned the what would have been the rightful champion, the best driver in the regular season out of the series regulars. Christopher Bell, there was a lot of uh there's a lot of momentum going to Johnny Sauter to win the truck title. Going into that race, veteran versus the younger driver. But Bell, you know, won a ridiculous amount of races just like Byron did in the truck series and missed out on the final the year before. And then William Byron, you know, the in a series so Tra- uh, uh, betrenched by cup drivers or yeah. trounced over by cup drivers. William Byron ended up with four wins, and there wasn't an Xfinity Series regular that had more than one. So it seemed pretty he's, fitting he, that he's the he guy. He's the guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so it seemed like the weekends and everything played out as they should there. Did and and I think that this format, as much as we you know have discussed it in both ways here, it seems like it in the end it normally does crown the rightful champion. Jimmy Johnson was an exception last year. Mm-hmm. Kyle Busch, because he missed the races, he still was the best driver after he came back. And and right. uh, and it, either he or Joey Logano probably should have won it that year. And then you you have Kevin Harvick. But even when you look that. at Jimmy Johnson, also last year, uh, we say that in in this sport because we know how uh, champions are crowned for so many years. But you know the New York Giants in the NFL uh-huh. jumped up and won two Super Bowls. They were wild card teams both times. Yep. Were not very good at the beginning of the season and put it together and went on a run at the end of the year. And nobody looks at that and goes, "Well, they weren't the real, they weren't yeah. the real yeah. NFL champions." So, I think the San know. Francisco Giants, you know, winning three World Series in five years, two of those times. I know the first one for sure. They were yeah. wild card teams. So that was so, the yeah, idea of the playoff yeah. system was to allow some people. It would have been weird had someone like Ryan Newman last year jumped up. And because uh, cool. theoretically you could do it without, well, no, you've got to win races. No, well, you, you know. we don't have to win if yeah. if uh, another person finishes in front of you. So right. Ryan Newman almost won Homestead in 2014, and that would right. have been his first one of the year, and it would have given. But him I, the title. I do yeah. think it did hurt them for years that we would have a champion sometimes with two races left to go. 
So I think yes. it does fix that. At Kenseth, bit. 03. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they talk a lot about Junior's legacy yeah. on the sport. I think Labonte at the same Labonte time. Labonte in 99, wasn't he? He had a couple races. Or know, 2000. Uh, 2000. Yeah, he had you a know, couple uh, races where he was already the champion. Yeah. And I just think that the, but we're going to talk about this more. And I want to hear from Dan, obviously. Uh, but I don't know that the, it may be working out. But I don't know that it's putting more butts in the seats. Uh, no, it's certainly not. Well, let's jump into that there. So th- this season, and we'll go to Dan, you first on this, to, to draw draw you back in. Now, I kind of gave Eric his own pedestal over there. You know, yes. he's used to that. On the yeah, but we all need okay. a pedestal at times. And, and you want to hear, obviously, <laughs> what other people think about it because it interests me more so to hear from people who have not been as close to the sport as – Probably you and I have been, Doug, and, and probably me more than you. But I, I love to hear other people's opinions, and that's why you always listen to the fans because they're the ones paying the prices. They're the ones that are there to see you show up every week and compete every week, and obviously the ones that that pay the purses when it's all said and done. Yeah, well, certainly. and. You know, I think there's this, uh, before we jump into the topic about attendance of TV ratings, I think there's this disconnect that goes on. when And I, and I follow probably, I mean, several dozen, if not a couple hundred different uh, NASCAR figures in the sport, especially every different kind of media. You know, every person that's something in NASCAR or media, I, f- I follow on Twitter. And there certainly seems to be a disconnect between what fans say and what what the how the media digests it, I guess. And to to your point, Dan, is that when when I hear you know media types pontificating about how fans are reacting, they react. The media pontificates with disdain about it, like oh, these reactionary knee jerks. We're looking at it from a more more nuanced perspective, from a more you know from a more uh, rounded perspective. Right. And so we are the clear voice on this, and it's so different from the fans. And yet, you don't want the, any singularly that fan voice to make all the decisions because the, the, you know they would be racing at figure eight tracks or something <laughs> right now. You know who knows what it would be, and so you end up in this sort of weird cycle, as you've seen uh, Eric in politics, where the media said there is no way we can elect, uh, there is no way with it, and, yeah. and it always plays out, or it lately it's started to play out differently. There's yeah. a huge disconnect always. between uh, sort of middle America. And uh, and the people doing the analyzing and yeah. the pontificating. Yeah. Uh, Good. Well, no, it's, and exactly. And so I think that leads us to this. As a media person, as somebody who's followed the sport for a long time, I look at this season where you have the introduction of stage racing, the inter- the fourth year of this playoff format, Dale Jr. announcing his retirement, all, all mixed in together that you would think you would at least – Stop the slide, okay? Mm-hmm. And yet, and I'm gonna. Have you heard about Dale Jr.'s new gig? <laughs> Dale Jr.'s new gig. What's that? Yeah, his new gig is gonna be the stand-in for Prince Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan and I were talking about this off air before. He thinks that uh, Dale Jr. and uh, Prince Harry are dead ringers yeah, for they, each other. They, they look alike, certainly. I, you know, he's... they look alike. We were wondering if Dale Sr. went to London or if Prince Diana came here. <laughs> <laughs> she was quite the NASCAR fan in the uh, early <laughs> eighties. I don't know. Is, beauty. I don't know. If Princess Dan is old enough to be his mom, though. That's the. Uh, you might, I don't know. I, well, now you're asking the wrong person. Yeah, I, I know I mean, nothing about royalty. Dale Jr. born like seventy four, I think. Uh, yeah, that maybe yeah, she maybe her certificate could be wrong. That's right. Oh, yeah. A lot of these <laughs> athletes. A lot of these athletes <laughs> lie about their age. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay, here it, here it comes. Okay, check this out though. Okay, so 
Uh, Homestead's season finale, I think I mentioned this last week, was down something like 23% mm. from 2016. And then final season numbers, um, let me see, get to it. So overall, the season averaged 4.1 million viewers per race across all networks and not including rainouts. This is from Sports Media Watch. Uh-huh. That's down 11% for 2016, down 18% from 2015, and compared to 2014, the last year of the previous TV deal, down 22% in just four total seasons, three uh, calendar that's years. That's the definition of a slide right and, there. And you would think with some of these changes that have gone on in this time that, that I mean, as a media type, as I'm sitting here analyzing, you're like, eh, it just doesn't add up to me. I don't understand. The sport has not been so dull. And so I go to you, Dan, as you and I have sat up in the Tower Aggression Motorsports part together before with you as the manager, me as an announcer, and said, how how do we get around this? What When you hear this, what do you think is going on and do you think the sport's missing the point? Like, why is why is it still sinking like that as far as ratings go? You know, Doug, I, I, you know, both, I think this is a combination of a lot of things, and it took quite a number of years to get where we're at. And I think we're just now showing the numbers from probably a decade or more of what the fans, you know, you, you've really got to be, here we're losing the short tracks, and, that brings interest on up even to the NASCAR, vice versa. It all blends in. So you've got economy. You've got economy, which dictates into hotel, motel, gas prices. And look at all the things that we have to do anymore. It's not that there are a limited number of things that you can do on any given weekend. You have so many things going on. And then you throw into the mix what we were talking about earlier was millennials because attention span mm. is is so short and and that's why i was talking about the races being so long in length you're you're gonna have to do something across several different lines to make a difference or i think the slide will continue for a while i think the worst part the the bigger danger or the damage or concern i should say is on the dwindling numbers at the track because yeah. if less people come this year than last year, that means they didn't have that great of a time last year. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that says something. On on the TV side, I've had a feeling that NASCAR grew. Maybe maybe there's a certain size that it should be, but the TV contract they got was bigger than that, and they're having to deal with with that as a television show. You know, the choices are all there as a destination. Mm-hmm. As you know, there are, there are people who go to rock festivals every year. You know, yeah. as a destination and something to do with your family or with your loved one, and people would do it year after year after year. There's something that they're not getting at the track, and I think that's more telling of the problems than the actual TV because I think that they got a little too big for their breeches on the TV thing in the early 2000s. Because, to be quite honest with you, what I, yes, think about think about. Think about the race that is coming up, and that's Pensacola. And yeah. and we've talked about that for a long time. And Tim and them do such a good job over there. But but that is definitely um, definitely one track that's an anomaly because uh, it year after year it usually brings more people. And as Eric was talking about, it it ends up being a destination. It's it's not just a race and event, but it's mm-hmm. a destination. And it, it really does make it unique, and the racing that goes on there, they've tried to preserve 
some of what racing was all about in the years that, that we all enjoyed it, I think, the most. But um, that's that's one track you're going to have to look at it in Bowman Gray. Yeah, the, you, going to the going to a NASCAR race should be like going to the State Fair. I think it should be that kind of day long experience. Excitement. Yes, yeah. yes, and it's not, and you shouldn't have to point to well, the race got a little boring in the middle. That really kind of shouldn't matter. It should be the overall day out with the family that 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 is 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 something that you want to do every series. year. It should be one that that you just don't forget, right? It's, but doesn't don't you think that tracks have tried to cater that that thirst, making it a day long event? I mean, they have concerts, they have all yeah. through the weekend. I mean, all this stuff laid out, and but it's always still, like Foreigner or somebody that was like a huge band in 1984. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not so sure. I, but look, they, it's very <laughs> difficult because you don't want this. I'll tell you one thing. I would do. First of all, play against the other sports. The NFL's having trouble right now. Going into next year, Fox and NBC and NASCAR, they should every commercial for NASCAR should show everybody standing for the national anthem in the stands, in the pit lane, in the crews. Uh, the com- there's a competitor out there that's losing people, and you've got the exact opposite. I mean, I don't know that there's a more patriotic sport than NASCAR. That's hard to, yeah. So work on a little bit on that. Maybe maybe bring some disaffected fans in, and then what you do at the track, uh, you know, they're owned individually. I, I know most of them are owned by two companies, but that that's a track by track situation. Um, they seem to like Vegas does well, right? Yeah, Vegas, uh, doing, yeah. kind of doing better out west there. now. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. it doesn't happen as much. You know, if you're in the southeast. You can miss a race and still see seven more races if you want to. Well, and that—that's a great point because I—I I still haven't made the choice. I have still haven't been to Bristol yet. You know, that's not only right. a close by track; it's a PRN, you know, Speedway Motorsports track. And I—I I haven't ever been to Bristol. It wasn't until just a few years ago that I'd gone to Charlotte because Daytona, Talladega, and Atlanta, of course, are so right. so close to me. With it's you, like right. I'm not miss. I mean, I'm missing a different kind of track. Martinsville's another one. And Darlington also. Yeah, right and up Roswell. In Roswell, it's not that much farther than where I live in Roswell, Georgia. It's not that much farther to go to Talladega than it is to get to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Sure. It's not that yeah, but, much. Yeah, but you know? guys, if you, if you've been to Atlanta, you've probably been to four or five of the tracks that run anyway, because wow. the racing it, it's so much cookie cutter yeah. that all the tracks just end up being the same. And I'm sorry that that's the way it feels to me. And I've been to a lot of race tracks and. I enjoyed the variety before they started in and going in and perfecting all the racetracks. I love the personalities of each and every racetrack. There was yeah. a reporter that told me once, and it was a reporter that I went to lunch with, he and Captain Herb, and he told me that the thing that they did wrong in Atlanta, and I love it. Atlanta Motor Speedway is my favorite sentimentally, and really it's sure. just it, it's the most you know, complete connection. racetrack that I go to. Right. I mean, it's you know as far as tire fall off and speeds and everything like that. But he said that when they made it, uh, Dan, and I want you to specifically to weigh in on this, when they took it from being a regular-shaped oval to making it, I guess you'd call it a D-shaped quad oval. Dog leg thing. That it ruined. And I'll say, well, why is that? And he said, because you have to slow down just a little bit in the tri-oval there, the quad oval, to make it to turn one, whereas before it was straight-line speed and you had to – you had to lift more, and it made the racing better. Is that something you noticed, Dan? I mean, and and that's and, that, and the reason I'm saying that is because that's what that's the model that Charlotte, Texas, Las sure. Vegas have all gone for, uh, and, and I think Kansas and uh, Chicagoland too. 
I just love the fact that that you had the track with its own distinct personality because you know I, I go back and I look at pictures that we had there in the eighties when Bill was running on the track and if if you had a racetrack and you look at the picture and there are pine trees in the background outside the racetrack yeah. and mm. you know that was Atlanta Motor Speedway and obviously that part had to change. I understand that, but the layout of the track, the configuration didn't have to change. I don't think that doing what they did and spending all the money that they spent made any difference whatsoever in the fan experience and what you would gain by doing that for what money you spent and thinking that it would bring fans back again because it changed that. Yeah, you know, it's certain, there was certainly one negative that, that they obviously didn't think about when they changed the back stretch to the front stretch. The now, sun. the sun. I mean, you're yeah. sitting there, you got the best best seats in the house, and you're getting baked. But Borch yeah. used to go, used to get on her about that on the air. <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, it's just a, it is a, it's a silly oversight, really. Yeah. Yeah, but Doug, what was the first thing Jim Gresham said about um, Gresham Motorsports Park? Yeah, was, y'all flipped it for the uh, opposite. He had been right? there before, and he wasn't going to sit there and sun in your face and bake all day. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, and you know, as they started taking out seats, it's it's funny because they had when Atlanta Motor Speedway. I mean, the first time I ever went there, I sat in the backstretch Weaver grandstands, mm. and you go from having those and the Turn Three Elliott grandstands, and now all of that's gone. Mm. <laughs> you know, the tornado yeah, happened, and then, uh, yeah. still having trouble. Uh, Filling it up. It's a very. Yeah. We've talked about this. Is maybe the thing that we've talked about the most over the few weeks sure. that we've done this. And I don't know. I don't know that I have a lot of answers. But uh, I do think that there's a possibility that the sport just grew too big in television and couldn't keep up with it. I don't know if there is enough of an audience out there to have this kind of TV package. Now you have to remember they do a whole lot better, I think, than hockey or something like yeah. that. And so other motorsports. They're just not more. living up to where they were in two thousand three or four or somewhere in there. Can I tell you the stat I hate the most though? So in this same article here, the same blurb that I just read those ratings figures. Just it was a while ago. I read those actually. It, I wouldn't say I just read them. No, okay. So, um, but is that that the NASCAR was the most watched sport twenty two weekends of the year? Well, yeah, because all the teams play in the same place. There's no way that you could add up all the NFL games and say that they had less viewers. Right, that, right. Yeah, you could add up Monday Night Football, but that's two teams. And so I, I kind of that, that's a misleading it's apples stat. And the NASCAR yeah, and the TV networks yeah, love to say yeah. we were the most. Oh, come on, yeah, because we we're so fortunate that all of our favorite teams play exactly. at the same time. That's on why a the All Star race is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Every race is an All Star race. Exactly. Yeah, this one just has less people and is more boring. So <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, it is the right length though, right? Okay, so let's jump to the next one here. Um, Na- NASCAR is you know obviously. If, by the way, I think Hendrick Motorsports might end up looking like the smart team. After all of this, with all of this cost adjusting that's going on, that's our next topic. That mm-hmm. uh, they they had probably the biggest salary dump you could have without shutting down a race team in off seasons, right? You go from Casey Kane to William Byron, Dale Jr. to Alex Bowman. You already had Elliott instead of Jeff Gordon. You've got Jimmy Johnson and the three kids. I think that they'll be if things really adjust like it seems like they are, they may be in the best shape. Uh, so the next one, NASCAR is trying to control the cost of the sport. And I'm not going to get into every in and out, but pretty much they announced on the day before Thanksgiving, they put out they floated this little news out there that they're going to have at track rosters for every team, and each team has to register the members 
that they have prior to the race weekend and cannot bring any more people to the track. It's going to be a certain amount of administrative people, a certain amount of over-the-wall crew, and a certain amount of mechanics, and that's it. Because so the bigger teams can't just overwhelm. And the bigger teams do overwhelm because yeah. if you go to the track, you see a bunch of Napa shirts, and you're like, who in the world are these guys? They'll fly them in just for race day, just all every bit, every different kind of mechanic. And so I, I, I hate to go out of turn again, Eric, but I want to go to Dan first, having been the mechanic. Uh, Dan, their idea is, of course, and the numbers are different for each series and vary sometimes per racetrack. Dan, not only are they limiting the number, but each person has their name on their shirt and a number, and they're trying to promote the other personalities on the team mm-hmm. so people know them. Do you think this is a good move? You know, I've always said, let's just, um, when you own four or five teams and you're affiliated with two or three or four more, then how easy it is to bring in personnel. You can bring in all of your top personnel under the guise of, under the disguise of three or four or five different teams. So you've got all your key people there anyway. What the hell does it matter? <laughs> well, and, and would now this the change idea, that? Would this change that? With this, what would it be? No, it, no. it wouldn't change that. You you'd have to have a person assigned per. You'd still bring in your A game, your A team for Daytona. You'd bring in all your key people, whether they were all with the forty-eight car, whether they were the twenty-four car, whether they were the five car, or whatever team they were well, with. You just leave your B team at home and bring all of your A team, all under different cars now the idea is that if you have the the people are not allowed to switch cars so i think they're i mean i don't know how this gets enforced but the idea is that if you're a number 24 mechanic you are not a 48 mechanic yeah, okay. so if the yeah, 48 goes for the, the garage, meetings, the 24 guys can't go work. Oh, yeah, but Dan, what Dan's saying, how do, you, how do you keep them out of meetings? How do you keep them out of brainstorming? Well, yeah, you, you can't do meetings, that. How yeah. do you keep all of that from being shared once you get there? A four-car yeah. four team still a four-car team. Eric, you know, we've, we've, we've talked earlier on this podcast, I believe, about the pit guns. They're, they're going to be handing those out instead of having the million-dollar pit guns. Well, what do, do you, you realize about this? the logistics of trying to regulate everything that they're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah, with and less outcome, people, with less and officials outcomes, at the track. Just like we saw at Gresham, the more you tried to regulate, it still washed out to be the same people week in, week out that ran good. You you didn't yeah. change anything. Yeah, almost what it almost sounds to me like in order to regulate this stuff, they would have to issue all of the over the wall equipment. Like NASCAR yeah, would have yeah. to issue it, well, and they're yeah. not they're not going to do well, that. They're going right? to issue the pit guns. Yes, uh, the pit guns. Oh, are yeah. they're going to. Yeah, that's the idea. And you'll get those that day. You'll get those that right. morning. You can practice whatever you want at the shop at the track. You get issued. Oh, a I can't gun. wait till somebody loses a race because uh, yeah, because yeah, the yeah, yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. Um, you know what? I, let's give them a little credit for trying. I guess we we're, we've talked about the money and the fact that there's no middle class in the sport anymore, and it seems like nibbling around at the edges. But at, at least they're trying, I guess. Yeah, but Eric, I, th- I think this deal is what I said a long time ago. It's the fact that I think NASCAR's on such a different level than we're even conceiving about where they want to go and what they want to do because we're getting into the truly professional F1 series to where that I. Uh, it's the it's the only game in town, and if you want to watch anything, they're the one to watch. And whether or not you have a lot of butts in the stands, the viewership on TV is ob- obviously what we're looking for. And then we grow this to be international, which they've been trying to do. Maybe maybe we're looking at it differently than what they are and their direction of where they're wanting to go. 
Yeah, I, I, I get that. And that's why it's always it, it's hard sometimes to have a good opinion on some things because you have to see it play out in the long run. I was completely wrong. Yeah, yeah. I was completely wrong about stage racing. I thought it was the stupidest idea of all time. And it turns out it was a great idea. One of the ideas, one of the very few yeah, ideas. Yeah, really brought a lot of butts to yeah. the seat at home. Man, <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as somebody watching a race, it made better racing. Now, how you get it eyeballs on that? You know? In theory, but in practice, it was, it was to me a ho-hum race. Okay. It didn't, it still didn't do much for you to have people fighting it out like in, you know, in the first stage or the second stage where. No, not really. No. Yeah, I, because I, I'm, some, some races were good and some were bad, but it's that that element. I think especially in the playoffs of the, you know, yeah. suddenly you realize, oh crap, these sta- these stage points mean something. Right. That's why Truex was undoubtedly the the season champion because he was winning stages. Right. He was getting all the. But here's points, a, but listen, yeah, yeah. going back to what we were just talking about is, and I don't know the answer to this, but is it, it is it better that we allow less cars on teams? I mean, we went from as many as you want. Roush used to have five, and we had the rule of four. And is it would it help to only allow people to have two cars like Penske? Yeah, riders? but they they just do it in another name. It, it doesn't right. yeah. matter how you regulate it. They yeah. do it in another name. They get a satellite. Yeah, you would, right. or, or that, or you would just end up with less teams. I, I don't yeah. know that. I don't. Is he? Yeah, that's that. That's the idea. And l- 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 and they'll transition to this next one because this is also about cost cutting and, and value in teams. So we've talked about the barriers to entry before, and. So if you limited the big teams and how much personnel, how much everything, even cap their spending somehow, you know they'd probably find a way to do it, or there'd just be less teams. Fine, I just won't yeah. have you know. Fine, there, there won't be a third team. Forget you. So the the next one about barriers to entry here is a couple of years ago, almost exactly two years ago, we learned about the charter system, right? And the charter system for a forty three cup field was a four forty three car field. Well, it, it filed it down to forty. But it said there are 36 guaranteed charters and then four open spots in any cup cup race, and the trucks in the Xfinity Series don't have the charters. Well, what we have right now is we've got several teams and I mean, that that don't have charters and several that have extra, and they've already swapped them out because the rule is that you could lease it out to have a charter. You can lease it out for one year out of every five, but then you have to take it back and either field a team or sell it. Mm-hmm. And so Roush Fenway Racing leased their charter to JTG Doherty Racing. Now they have it back. That was the old number 16 charter, and they've got to figure out. They've either got to sell that charter or they've got to or, or they you know are going to eat right. it and not have it anymore and so I'm sure they'll try to sell so they it. They have to decide if it's a if it's a money maker for them the, to But the thing is is that the, are there not really they're not really 36 teams yeah. full-time teams anymore. And so what do you what do you think I'll go to you Eric first about the charter system that was supposed to create equity in these teams where you could sell these so even if your team went out of business you still could get a million dollars or yeah. something like that. Do you think that was a good idea to go to that or do you think it's too limiting for a team entering the sport? Uh, my goodness. I'm not, I don't know so much about that part of the sport. I don't have any hands-on, uh, experience with what works and what doesn't work. It seems to me, I'll give you my opinion on the charter system as I think a little bit NASCAR is chasing other sports and how they deal with their franchises. And perhaps the reason some of these things aren't working out the way that they should is because as we said before, it's apples and oranges. This is not, this is a unique sport. And it has its own needs. And, uh, you know, putting a car together and going to the track should still be part of this. I know that we're up at a level where it's not really just putting a car together yeah. and going to the yeah. track. But I think the further you get away from that spirit, uh, you lose a little bit in NASCAR. I don't, I don't know that I ever believed that NASCAR was going to work 
uh, with sports franchises the way that the NFL or Major League Baseball does or NBA. I, I don't know that I ever bought that concept. How it works uh, for the individuals in the garage, I can't really speak to because I, I don't know what was better. I don't know what system was better for them before or after. I am glad they got rid of um, past champions being able to get in a yeah. race because that was, just a, that was just a scam that was going on for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it didn't seem like it was really – a very I don't want to see a past performance. I don't yeah. want to see a past champion unless they think they might have a chance to win the race. Right. That's yeah, what but Derek, that was only Derek a band aid because yeah. they didn't have a full car field anyway, and that was oh, okay. a way of adding another car or two cars if need be, and uh, seeing those familiar names and faces run. Okay. Well, so as far as the small teens building a car and going to the track, Dan, that's that was what the Elliott family did. It built itself into a small empire there for a while. Well, Doug, the only way system, that we yeah. were ever to come in and do what we were able to do was the fact that you go to Daytona in February in the 70s, and they there could be as many as 60 teams there trying to start a, what would it have been in that time, a 42 or a 45 car field? Right. And, and could have been as many as 60 cars. I know I've been to Atlanta Motor Speedway when there was almost 60 there because Those were the days. what it is <laughs> when you don't have the franchises or the charters is the fact that anyone, anyone can come there and used to be and compete. But the way the, the program runs now with, with having to have the car certified, with now you're getting into the sealed engine programs and you got to run some of those and the fuel injection on the cars and, and having to lease engines and it's just not the same anymore. And instead of a sport being to where that you can easily get into a ride or show up at a racetrack and, and get yourself into a car and into a race is impossible. Yeah. So what do they, what do they do? Again, so many of these problems seem it's just so difficult They're to solve. circular, you know, so you I mean, try you, too hard to regulate it, then you create more rules. And I'm and talking, oh, it was better in the old days, but probably an awful lot of It was better in the old days, yeah. and, and you're looking, number one, at safety, obviously, but, and, and I know it's gotten a lot better, but there, there's got to be a happy medium in this, but I still say that NASCAR has a plan, and they're well on the road to their mm -hmm. plan, and, and I don't know which fan they're looking to cater to or try to entice to get to the racetrack anymore because obviously tv is is where they're at and that may be ultimately where it ends up at well i'll tell you for me uh i over the last few years i don't watch as much and i think some of it is i loved when you know 52 cars or 55 cars showed up and that gives me a weekend that's actually worth tuning in you know who's doing well in the practices you know what's yeah. actually going on now that you kind of know the field you just tune in at race time Exactly. Guys, I loved it when you could go to Darlington before they changed the racetrack and flip-flopped it and did all that they did. I loved the personality of it, but I loved after the race going around and seeing all the cars that had the Darlington stripe because you knew yeah. that you were running good when you scraped the wall coming off of turn four. Didn't tear a quarter panel off, but there yeah. were, were so many cars that scraped the wall that were running so hard and that wasn't the only place I loved Richmond before it got to be the, when it was the half miles to the three quarter mile where they, they rubbed the little old pipe rail coming off of either turn two or turn four. And it, it just, everybody was racing was just to me so much more competitive and grittier. I didn't mind yeah. the, I didn't mind the paint swapping and, 
you saw a lot of that go on and the cars still finished the race. See, I've been a fan entirely in the new state. I mean, 2001 Daytona 500 was my first race mm-hmm. watching it all the way through. And so it's tough to, it's tough for me to compare to those times, except going back and watching them on YouTube or hearing you guys regal about them. It's, it's hard to really feel the same, same way. And it's hard for me to make the same arguments in a way, because when I hear about how competitive it was back then or, how a small team or a middle class, you know, that they were able to sometimes. But they succeed. weren't trying, but they didn't have the burden. I mean, the the money from television has been wonderful, I guess. Yes. But the, it's now kind of a burden because you have to feed television, and you and that's where so much of the money is coming from. Well, back in the old days, well, you know, you, a NASCAR race would be. You watch like a Wide World of Sports. And if if there was a race going on, they would duck into it. They'd come into yeah, it for yeah. a little while and then go out, and then, and then they'd show you who won it. It was kind of an afternoon thing. Very rarely did you see full races on television. So I would like to have seen more when I was younger on television. But obviously, the other side of that is that the NASCAR didn't have to feed that that uh, beast. And right now, it's a blessing and it's a curse. Yeah, and I think that it's just so available. You can get it anywhere. And I yeah. think too, we one thing we haven't mentioned what back to the TV ratings is where where uh, almost the podcast started today is that people are consuming it in so many other ways. Just like you can kind of duck in on and get it on the wide world of sports in yeah. 1971. Well, now I could duck in on Twitter real quick and and see what's going on, or or go on the NASCAR app and see what's happened up until this point, and then and then I could keep up with Twitter and okay, I need to go inside now. It's 50 laps to go. Mm-hmm. It's 25 laps to go, and and at the Homestead race, in fact, one argument that NBC made for the race's numbers being down is, well, you know, it, it wasn't as much in prime time. The race should have run longer and started later because yeah. that's where their highest audience was, was yeah. it, from this year of 6.15 to 6.30. But I think last year it was after 6.45, got, trying to bleed into their t- a thir- uh, Sunday night football coverage. Sure, so, after, after the maybe, other game. Maybe yeah. there should have been a blackout of all the other things on TV during the time they ran the race. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That would have helped. I yeah, think. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't. I think that um, also the with TV not being not not living up to what it sh- what they need it to be. But at the same time, I would imagine all the TV coverage in the two th- since your era, the two thousand two thousand one. I, I would imagine is probably having the effect of killing local racing to a certain degree because when we went to local tracks. That was our racing for the week. Like, yeah. We might see a little yeah. bit of it here or there, uh, NASCAR a little bit here or there, but if you wanted to uh, to really have the experience, you had to go to the local track. So it's strange with TV, not living up to what people want it to be, but I'll bet you it's still having the effect of actually killing local racing. It definitely takes about Derek. racing mulligan for the weekend, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Derek, Derek and Eric, I loved it whenever we were growing up to go to the racetracks, the local tracks, and see cars painted up like the mm-hmm. cup cars were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, it, yeah. It was exactly. exciting to go see people because then you could tell who their fan, who their favorites were, and who they were fans of, and who who were their influence, and obviously where they were aspiring to be. And I would imagine, like, I don't, I don't know where William Byron comes from, but does he, does he come out of a track? Is there? Does he come out of local tracks? Does he have a fan base that followed him for the last five years? I don't know. I mean, he he started in iRacing and literally hadn't been in any kind of race car until 2012. Okay, so he's just picking up good. Five years, you know, he's gone from yeah. You know, his closest thing I think to local tracks is the K and N series, or maybe he did some legends. So if you make it to 25 or 26 years old and you're still at a local track level. You, you ain't gonna make it. In yeah. Cup. Okay, that's it. Yeah. That's that's and the see, difference. There's, that's the, the guys I was watching at local tracks 
were 23, 24, 25. Yeah. And then later on, they went into Cup. Yeah. I think about it on, I love on uh, Twitter, these accounts will show vintage pictures and they'll show Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace from the ASA days. They weren't 16 then, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, they right. Weren't. I mean, they were out yeah. there racing out there with Dick Trickle and some of those guys and, you know, and, and really making a name for themselves and going back and still racing those races even when they were still affiliated with NASCAR. I guess there's no way to go back to that, but somehow the spirit of that needs to be brought back. Yeah. I think I think the money, the, how much money it takes to race, you know, you just are trying to move on to Cars the Cars are kind of boring looking. They all look alike a little yeah. bit. You know? there, there's a debate going on in the late model commun- community right now. Uh, I think it's ARC is the company, yeah, that uh, one of the body-making companies, and they're trying to switch to a more competitive and more modern-looking late model that resembles... You're talking about at, 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 uh, at short tracks? Yeah, lo- short track racing. I and can't... So that, can I just tell you right now? I, that, the way... The, aerodynamically, I'm guessing that must be the greatest way to, to build a car for a track like that. But, wow. It's... To me, it's like... It, it, those those cars look like funny cars. Yeah. They, they, I, they, I, those they do, do not look, look like cars. They just look weird to me. Like flying wings or something. They, they certainly know? don't look like stock cars. <laughs> no. They and don't. So that... I gotta say but, that there's a lot of it that has to do with the eye. When I was a kid, I fell in love with, you know, all those colors rushing past and everything. Yeah. And the way cars look, uh, uh, you know, has something to do with that. So uh, when I... I haven't gone in forever, but when you see pictures of uh, what late models look like on short tracks, I don't relate to that at all. No, no. Uh, it's yeah, but hard. as kids, we all had love affairs with our cars, and cars were a status symbol, and, and today, I think in the millennial age, I think yeah. your phone is probably your status symbol That's now. That's true. And, and I think the millennials have, for, for whatever reason, have fell out of love with the automobile because the automobile now in most cases is just a means to get you from a to b and and if it's even if it has to be uber uh whatever it is it's just a means to get you from a to b and um it doesn't mean any more than that because definitely the automobile for me especially through the school years was a status symbol absolutely yeah Yeah. i definitely don't think it's that anymore and that's just prettiest girls were in the baddest hot rod that's right that's right <laughs> and dan elliott had the uh, baddest hot rod buddy let me tell you okay ab- absolutely not i had the ugliest <laughs> truck <in> the <laughs> that's a, yeah well, that, that, that is true that's uh, i have uh, a son who's, but even the ugliest truck in the parking lot had a 427 uh, in yeah it. so <laughs> everybody had fast cars everybody had pretty cars that were anybody and and definitely now, as I say, I think the millennial is is the 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 toys for them is is definitely the electronics. Uh, my my nineteen year old, uh, you know, driving to him is a purely utilitarian thing. It That's wasn't it. it wasn't something he looked forward to. In fact, he finds it to be a little bit, you know. Like most kids yeah. now don't even want to get their driver's license when they turn it, 16. That's right. Yeah, I wanted, that's, to get, I wanted to get mine when I was 14, and now I know of kids that are 19 years old yep. and have no driver's license. Yeah, that could be, you know, putting my traffic hat on. That could be the key. It's, it's a yin and yang. It's a key to getting people more interested in other forms of transportation. Right. But the bad thing is that when they do drive, they drive like idiots. So, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not well, as just think, just in think in so. the future, in the future, maybe the, the answer of NASCAR, it will, it will solve all these problems like uh, drivers that cost too much. We'll just have driverless cars in the future and they'll race each other with no person. Well, what, what if NASCAR had a, I, I talked to Rick Hendrick yeah. about doing a series through General Motors, it was electric cars. Yeah. Would you go to an electric car race where you 
where you had drivers, but it was electric cars. Would you go to an electric car race? I think I would check it out. You know, the formula. there's the Formula, formula E, e. Yeah. series. Nelson and, P.K. Uh, Jr. They do some pretty interesting stuff, or, which is uh, they, they use the internet while the race is going on. And if you – so the, 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 the drivers in the race who get the most fan support get extra amounts of boost – the, really? Yeah, like so. The, the I can't remember what it is, but if you have five boost that everybody has, you can get up to seven or eight by being in the top three. So that engages uh, that people. That, uh, you know, so that's an interesting uh, God, way. Can you imagine? Yeah, but what if what if you went to Atlanta Motor Speedway and uh, Ed Clark has a bonus electric car race there on the front straightaway where they run the Legends cars during a race event. I think that would during a race weekend. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, no, I would I would I would I would check that out. You know in the Formula E stuff, they don't have enough charge to go the full race, so the drivers have to get out and get into a second car oh, really? in part of the race. So they really have put some stuff in there that's uh that's uh that's that's you know pretty interesting. Well now the motorcycles that run in California they have the same thing and they are allowed battery changes. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know much about that. Now, they don't make things. any noise, so that's kind of weird at a racetrack. No, but it's it's like one of the kids told me that they don't make any noise, so you can project with with a speaker, you can project any sound from the car right. you want it to make. Right, absolutely. Oh, now, that's it. So you could, be <laughs> the, you could be the Jetson car. You could have the sound of a V8. You could have the yeah. sound of a jet engine. You could have anything you wanted to have. See, and I think, so there was this whole debate earlier this season about NASCAR looking at noise reduction, and it was only a small bit of noise reduction, but it was the idea was to try to make make the race more attractive for millennials to attend yeah. so they could have conversations. And that is one drawback. Not pay attention. Race, especially in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but but most sporting events, you think about it, when I go to a Braves game with my friends, you talk. you're talking and yeah. you know, hanging out, and, and you, know, you want to take a phone call or something like that. And so – that that's an interesting debate, and of course the the it's the loudest squeaky wheels of the fan base were up in arms about it. But it, I didn't think it was the worst idea, and I don't even know that people would have told would have uh, taken that much. No, because we there. went to race in Washington State in the eighties. Wow, they made us run mufflers out there, and Doug, it was one of the it was one of the most memorable events I've ever been to for me because I loved it. I loved the fact that you weren't deafened by the sound of working on these things and the fact that they raced on the track and after the race was over your ears didn't ring for two days yeah yeah that's not a bad that's not a bad thing so it's not a bad thing yeah yeah i think nascar will get there eventually they, they i think they need to do it without announcing it that's the whole key do it without announcing it yeah that way yeah. And let people notice it and see if they really care that much okay one well, last why should here, anything so, change now they do a lot without announcing it anyway well yeah a lot of it makes its way out there though because there are yeah. still a few intrepid reporters out there okay so the last one here um the at southern national motorsports park last night a big late model race here. The season is wound down now. Each singular race is more of a big deal. They have, uh, like for instance, Christopher Bell just won the Thanksgiving Bowl or something mm-hmm. like that, a sprint car race or midget car race. So at uh, at Southern National Motorsports Park, Jamie McMurray's crew chief Matt McCall wins this Thanksgiving Classic late model race out there with a lot of the big names in Southern late model racing. And then after the race, they find that his transponder has been put on in the wrong place, and that scoring error allowed him to be scored the leader on the last restart and thus led him to taking the win uh, over Justin Johnson. Meaning he wasn't actually 
In well, the lead? so he or, was he was in the lead at the end of the race. Okay, but he restarted as the leader with 25 laps to go. Okay, when he shouldn't have been. I see. And you know, Dan, transponders are huge. I you know they're supposed to be putting one part of the car. His was put further forward, and that's how. Yeah, for for fans that don't know what transponders are, they're the electronic unit on the car that picks up exactly where you are on the racetrack because there's a sound into the asphalt there's a strip of, of wires that go across there that pick up this transponder yeah so the transponders have to be located in the same place on the car otherwise if you got to the start finish line and a car was ahead of you by a nose but your transform your transponder was up in the nose of your car instead of at the back of the car then you're going to be the winner yeah, even though right, you weren't the winner on the racetrack. Well, so and so what they yeah, did. Yeah, the, the, the transponders have to be in the same location on the car. So he was flagged the winner. Post race tech, they find the transponder on Matt McCall's race car in the wrong place, and then they hold the official results for two hours after the race, and then finally decide after talking to all parties involved that Matt McCall sh- should have still been the winner because he won by enough amount to offset that but it was still an illegal thing and so i feel like short tracks dan are more likely to take away race wins than than the cup series of nascar even though the very first ever cup race they took the win away from the guy in general nascar doesn't do that um it just brings that question to the forefront again there was a whole bunch of rigmarole at that racetrack uh at southern national motorsports park and trying to do the right thing and they they eventually let mccall keep the win but that's a pretty egregious error Really, when you, you need to, it. to me, you need to DQ. You need to send the message that we're not going to tolerate any of this, and DQ the car. And regardless, the transponder was in the wrong spot, and they had to put it in the wrong spot because they knew the rules. And did, yeah. you, taking race wins away, Eric. I mean, is that? And they ended up not doing it in Matt McCall's case. I know the argument is you don't want fans to go home thinking one thing and uh, finding out something else. So you think your favorite driver won. And then you get home and find out your favorite driver didn't win. I understand that something this egregious. So and then, I mean, obviously yeah. they put it there for a purpose, right? Well, and so or did uh, they not? Did they just so make that's a mistake? The thing is that at, although at other racetracks, at other racetracks, apparently the place that they had it mounted, it was legal. Okay. So uh, it may have been just an oversight. It's yeah, but yeah. you know what? That, they don't, that's not something when you're refereeing. <laughs> that's why you got a rule book. Yeah, yeah, that's right. O- oversight and intention. The worst referees are people who try to figure out why you did something. Yeah. The, the yeah. best referees just call them as they see them. And yeah, but I, but I love the people that, that compete because this was the story at Gresham. Well, y'all didn't catch it, so if you didn't catch it before the race, then it should be legal after the race. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah if you ain't one. cheating, you ain't trying, right? You got that right. <laughs> it, it, it just brings it again. I think I really feel like the next big watershed thing to happen in NASCAR is not going to be these cost-cutting measures, and it's not going to be another change in the format of the race or the points. It's going to be something to do with penalties. I feel like... When you look at the top stories of NASCAR this past year, and I, I was listening to one of our PRN shows, actually, O'Reilly Auto Parts Pit Reporters, and what were the three big stories of the year? And I, to me, I, I, I would think, oh, yeah, it is Dale Jr. Oh, yeah, it yeah. is Truex. Oh, oh, it's the young guys. Oh, so, but really, the biggest to me was, or one of the biggest, was the penalties. And and every weekend was some issue with laser inspection. And then after the race, it was a little low, but he only gets a P3 penalty. And and. It just after a while you kind of go okay. And your like, head spins. Yeah, and I mean now I think if you have one loose lug nut at the end of the race, that that shouldn't cost you a race win. But at some point, I feel like they really need to throw the book at teams, and they did. Joey yeah, Logano. I can remember races where the the car that won the race might only had four lug nuts on the 
front tire or rear tire and they were still allowed to win with four lug nuts. Um, yeah, and you I still don't can't know down. that. I, I know that losing a wheel is a bad thing because it could end up in the grandstands, and I know that's what they're trying to prevent. But I'm like you. Where do you draw the line on this? This is getting a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, well, they they tried to draw because what happened when they took the officials away on pit road? That's one thing they didn't enforce. Mm-hmm. The teams were intentionally putting three sure. lug nuts. Yeah, on but the, the last officials yeah. wouldn't have known if the lug nuts were just sitting on there or torqued on there when the car left. It's yeah. just that they were all on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to know, but I, I just feel like, again, I wasn't trying to hone in on lug nuts necessarily. NASCAR created the fake win takeaway. You mean I can't win with the gas can attached to the back of the car? <laughs> if you won with the gas can attached to the back of the car, there's probably something else illegal that if you were yeah. still able to win that way. It, it's, it's just, it seems to me that that's you know, the next big watershed thing is really hurting teams with penalties. They're trying to make paper cuts. They need to go for the, the throat on that. Um. You know, but the other part of that is the more regulations you have, the more opportunities for uh, penalties that come along. So it for might mistakes, be for mistakes to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it might be that at this point they're maybe a little overregulated. I mean, yeah. everything is templated down, and uh, and so people are getting in trouble for a, an eighth. Look, I understand aerodynamically speaking. Yeah, that's an important thing. And but I would I would definitely look in the idea of maybe less rules. Uh, yeah, the more I, the more rules you have, then the more opportunities to break rules there are. I, I absolutely agree on less less rules. I just want yeah, the but the more stringent the process becomes on enforcing the rules and what they have to go to go through each time that a car comes to the racetrack to, to compete, and obviously the time it takes to get you through inspection before the race because i would venture to guess that a daytona car inspection would last quite a few hours just a normal inspection per car yeah yeah uh yeah so that there's another impediment to uh, coming to the track yeah it yeah. goes back to what we were talking about before right, exactly you gotta have a certain amount of crew to do that i'd I get- like to see differences between the cars you know yeah. i know that they want to see you know bump you know the racing stays together but I well, they all got see, different you know. numbers on them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I hear there are different and it, drivers. And each one has a different daggum paint scheme each week because you can't afford to sponsor a whole year. Anymore. And that's they stupidly thing. put on those decal headlights, which I find ridiculous. They all might be different drivers, but they all end up about five foot and weighing about 140 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like Ryan Newman. Well, there's always exceptions <laughs> to the rule. Just, all right, well, fellas, that, that does it with the five, five today. I do want to... Throw, throw out there a couple big things we have going on, on the WSB side. This is always a time of year. There's so many different ways to help. Uh, Clark Howard, our consumer guru here on WSB Radio at Channel 2 Action News and, and on Clark.com nationwide, you can kind of tune in to see what he has going. He's got his uh, annual Clark's Christmas Kids uh, deal going on, and it starts up this Thursday. There's going to be an array of different broadcasts and place to drop off toys or actually go buy toys for kids that are in the Georgia foster care system. It's all done with uh, St. Vincent de Paul, and you can actually choose a kid yeah. and their age and then buy and their, know their That's great. And you're, you're, you buy. you're buying actual presents yes. for an actual child. You're not just throwing a, a general president present into a bin. It's a, they, oh, now now the rules have changed on that, have they? No. <laughs> yes. You, got, you better not be found out of line. Disqualified. So, yes. But that starts up uh, this Thursday, this, uh, December the – or, yeah, this Thursday, whatever, the Thursday, the, November the 30th, 
and it'll be yeah. at the Ashford Dunwoody Walmart in uh, in uh, DeKalb County here, just north of downtown Atlanta. And then there'll be an array of uh, different places. Yeah. If you go to wsbradio.com or Clark. Dot com. You can find those out. And then I want to mention, too, uh, well, Eric, do you know which one? Of the, you're going to be on one of those broadcasts, I'm uh, sure. I'm going to be on one. three, I believe. The first one will be Friday, Manziel Road, Walmart. Manziel uh, Road, Walmart, yeah. Uh, Roswell. Uh, uh, Clark will be there two to seven. I'll be there three to four with Clark. Okay, yeah, that'll be yeah. good. And we'll, we'll make sure to fly over in the skycopter there. Um, and, then, and then we have, instead of having a whole series of broadcasts, we have one big soiree. The WSB traffic team does a conjunction with Fred's Barbecue House and Toys for Tots December the 9th out on uh, out on Thornton Road, Lithia Springs. There's a motorcycle ride and then a big festival, live music, Roger Hur- Hurricane Wilson, and also the Marshall P- Porch Pickers will be there. And then we're going to have our broadcast from 1 to 4 that day, Saturday, December the 9th, a week from Saturday. So if you're in the area and you love racing and you want to bring new unwrapped uh, toys or money to help kids, we'd love for you to come out there, Thornton Road, north of I-20. You can find out about that on the traffic page, wsradio.com. Eric, I've already thrown the invite to Dan. If you want to, I know you're already doing 3 o'clock broadcast but if you find yourself uh, free that do Saturday, what I can yes we, we'd love to have you out we're, we're gonna be on the air three straight you, hours, so. bike out there. well yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of bikes donated so uh, that, that's really cool um and it's something that our uh, the per, the reason I'm here doing a racing show and the reason I'm doing traffic is because of captain herb Emery absolutely and, you know we all knew captain and uh he was a big part of that Fred's barbecue house is the one that does that that whole event there that it, it originated with them? But Captain Herb helped take it promotion wise to another level and gave a ton of his time. And his widow Karen uh, is really the big organizer of that now. So y'all be sure, whatever you do, go out and try to help somebody this holiday season. If not all the time, tomorrow's Giving Tuesday. So I uh, I wanted to uh, ask because I am into racing. I like seeing. Uh, I I saw a driver the other day mm-hmm. that I didn't normally. I don't want to. I just wanted to ask if you guys have seen this guy. So I'm watching. Uh, what is like the Trans Am series. Okay. And this guy won the championship, but have you guys ever heard of this dude, Ernie Francis Jr.? Ernie Francis Jr. Put this guy on your radar. I watched him uh, in the last, I don't know, eight or nine laps of this race, and you can you can always tell when a driver has a super young dude, 22, something like that, but uh, I just want to throw it out there, because every once in a while... A lot of racing is the same, the same, the same, and then you see a guy driving in a way that's just a a lot better than the people around him. He was and born in 1998. This is not a paid political. Analysis. No, this is not a paid. I, I just happened to see it, and I love guys who uh, who can do something super awesome and totally clean at the end of races to uh, to snatch the victory. And I just, where was this race at? I cannot remember. It was the last race of the Trans Am Series this year, so it was just in the last week or so. Uh, but wow. this guy, I, he mentioned during one of the interviews that he has done some NASCAR testing. He did. He uh, ran. I just looked him up here. He ran for Carl Long's team, so not, right. not a good yeah. team in the Xfinity Series. At, he's only 19 years old. He actually ran at the um, Road, Road mm-hmm. America. Well, at, anyway, at, I just Wisconsin. want to throw it out yeah. there for people who like to I, – I, I love when I see a driver that I've never heard of do something on the track that, uh, that stands out. And uh, so I would just – Throw that dude on your on your radar. He's a great driver. He is on the radar. We'll Damn. we'll be following him for sure. Thank, I have no connection that. with him or his sponsors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's not a member of the France family. Would, it's Francis, Ernie uh, yes. Francis, uh, 19 years old from Davie, Florida. 
born in 1998. Check him out, man. So he'll be 20 years old in January. All right, folks, well, thanks so much for joining us on 5 to Go here. Uh, I don't know that we're going to be with you every week during the offseason. We'll think of some creative ways to rejoin you and be back with you. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's where we just put the new episodes up. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and you don't even have to think about it. You get a notification on your phone when a new episode is out. And once again, we thank you all. Eric, good to have you back, my friend. That makes me feel young. That was a negative four for the championship, 88. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. No, but Eric, Dan, it's good to have you guys here. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All of that. To everybody. Yeah, we'll see you all back real soon here. Thanks for listening to 5 to Go.